0: May be seated. All right, if you would get a hand on God's word, whether it has pages or it's electronic, but get to John chapter 14. And while you're turning there, just a quick announcement. Um, next week, since we're kind of in between Mother's Day, Father's Day, I'm going to jump out of John for a few weeks and I'm going to do a marriage series entitled Making Marriage Work. And um, the reason is is a lot of you write on your prayer requests pray for our marriage pray for our marriage you don't give details uh, but you're up pray for our marriage pray for our marriage and there's a lot of those so you could be praying hey just hey we're doing well pray it for us or maybe some of you have marriages where you're like we're hurting pray for us and so um, I would encourage you um, if you have friends who Maybe their marriage is hurting. Invite them next week. Uh, Maybe you know someone who's going to be getting married. Invite them next week. Um, Maybe you know someone who's seasoned in marriage. Invite them next week. Invite some people that you think, hey, they need to hear this series. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, I'm going to be honest. Next week's message is going to be called Back to the Basics of Marriage. we're living in a time where marriage is lost, and we, I don't think we have an idea of what marriage is anymore, so we're going to go back to the basics of just marriage, and so invite some people for the series. I think it's going to be a good one, and that's going to be about probably about four weeks long, and um, I just want to encourage you, though, for those of you who are single, don't be like, well, I'm single. I'm not going to church for three weeks. No, because um, you may be single now, but maybe get married. But also, I'm going to do a message about singleness, all right? So I'm not going to leave you out, leave you high and dry and abandon you. Um, this can still be for you, too. So um, that'll start next week. All right, John chapter 14, this is where we're at. And um, remember, Jesus is in the Last Supper with the disciples. And uh, one thing about Jesus' ministry with these guys is he has told them things, um, but how many of you know as a parent, you tell your child something, do they get it on the first time? You tell them twice, do they get it? A lot of times you got to tell them about, what, a hundred times and then they may get it, all right? Well, Jesus has been doing this with these men. He's told them some things and they're not getting it, Okay. And uh, one thing he has told them repeatedly is, guys, um, I'm going to die. And they're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, they weren't getting it. And Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he's kind of hitting this again, because Jesus knows my hour is up. But these guys aren't there yet. And so... There in verse 1 of chapter 14, this is where I'm launching this this message from. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You see, Jesus knows these guys' world is going to be turned upside down. Life is going to go sideways really fast here in a matter of hours. How many of you ever had your world just turned upside down? You ever have your life just go sideways really fast and you're like, what in the world is happening? All right. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Now he's, 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 he's repeated this kind of message before in Matthew chapter six. He was preaching to people when he was on the, on the mountain. and He's like, do not worry about your life. And he kept repeating it. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We see this message with, Pete, with, uh, with Paul in Philippians chapter four. He's like, Um, don't be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. It's the same thread. It's the same purpose, the same meaning. This idea of, of don't let your heart be troubled. And Jesus is telling these guys this. He knows what's about to happen. And he is telling them, when you see this happen, don't let your heart be what? Raise your voice. Troubled. And so that's what I want to look at. But the good news is, is Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, just don't let your hearts be troubled, then he moves on to the next subject. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, and then he gives them four reasons as to why not. And I want to look at those four reasons as to why you and I don't have to let our hearts be troubled. All right, And here's the first one. The first reason Jesus gives... As to why we don't have to be troubled, and it's this because the Lord is trustworthy. Because the Lord is trustworthy. Now, let me dive a little bit deeper in this idea of not letting your heart be troubled, because we need to understand what it means to have a troubled heart in the first place, okay? The reality of the troubled heart, he really, the heart that he's talking about is actually your thinking process, okay? Your mind and, 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 and what you think about and how you see things and how you view things. And, and he's talking about don't let this thing get out of control. He's like, don't let your mind, your thinking be troubled, all right? How many of you know that's a little bit harder than, than saying it, all right? But Jesus is saying it. Don't let your heart, your mind, your thinking, your proce- that, that process be troubled. Now, the word, when he's talking about being troubled and, and the idea of it, it really means this. You're, a, a troubled heart means that something has caused it to move because of distress or turmoil. It's moved, it, it's gotten off of focus. It's, it's, it, you were focused here, but it, now it's moved. And that's what he's talking about. He's like, if your heart is troubled, it's moved. It's troubled because of some kind of distress. It's troubled because of some kind of pain. It's troubled because of something's going on and your heart, your mind, your thinking has moved. Move from what? Okay. When he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's like, don't let your heart, your mind move. Move from what though? From the Lord. From him. All right. All right. He's, he's like, don't let the eyes of your heart, the thinking of your mind, move away. You see, what happens is is when we have a troubled heart, when we are worrying, when we are constantly anxious, the reality is we are not trusting the Lord. We have got our focus on the horizontal. We've got our focus, our mind set on the pain the problem, the circumstance, the situation, and that is where we are focused. And when we are constantly focused on that, guess what? Troubled heart. Worry, anxiety settles in, okay? And Jesus is saying, don't let that happen. Don't let your heart be troubled. And the way and the, and the number one way he shows and tells us and how that is not to happen is to know I am trustworthy. Because look what he says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What's the key word there? Believe. Believe. All right. believe. And to believe is more than just It's more than just like like knowing facts. To believe truly means to have a complete trust and reliance in something. It's to have a complete confidence in. So when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't allow yourself to move. And the the way you don't allow yourself to move is you have a trust a complete reliance on, a complete confidence in something. And the complete confidence and reliance you have in isn't yourself. It's not even in the circumstances to change. It's completely vertical. It is in God and in God alone. We sang that song, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you even when we know Your ways are higher than our own. That's what having a complete confidence in the Lord is all about. When we can believe in him. And so he's telling these guys, he knows in a matter of a few hours, their world of what they've known for the last three years is done. It's crashing to the ground. He's dying, he is leaving. And everything they were so confident in, everything they were assured about, is done, lost. That rattles you, doesn't it? When when you have been comfortable, when when life has been good, and all of a sudden it comes crashing to the ground, it shakes you. And the reality is, for a lot of us, if we're and, and I'm not to say that you don't have a moment where you 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 see it you don't stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and go, I just don't think it happened, it's not there. You don't pretend. It's real. Life is hard, pain hurts. Marriages fall apart and we get divorced. Sickness settles in, and cancer takes a loved one. We lose our jobs. These are real everyday things. But Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled when that happens. And the way that happens is when you start to see yourself moving to just seeing the pain, you've got to realize, I am moving and I've got to get back. And the way we move is we stop praying, we stop reading his word, we stop worshiping, we move away. And Jesus says, don't let that happen. That's why we got to keep focused on him. Keep praying. Keep reading his word. Keep worshiping him. Even when the circumstances aren't changing, even when the circumstances get worse. And they go different than what we're hoping and anticipating. We keep trusting. We keep believing. And that's what Jesus is saying the way you keep your heart from being troubled is knowing he is trustworthy. Here's a second way, and the reason why we don't have to be troubled is this, because this life is temporary. This life is temporary. Now, starting in verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come again and will take you to myself? That where I am, you may be also. Now, I expounded on this a little bit last week. And the reality is Jesus is talking about heaven. He's talking about the reality that this world, this life you're living is not it. It's just a precursor. It is just a warm-up lap. It's just the, the, the pre-show before the show. That's all this life is. And he's like, I'm telling you guys, when, when you're done with this life, you're going to real life. He, he's talking about, when he talks about you know, his father's house, It's that's symbolism for the, the kingdom of God. He, he's talking about, when he talks about there's many rooms, he's talking about the expanse of it. He's talking about, man, there is so much room going on, it's not going to be full. And he's talking about, when he says, and I'm going to come back for you, here's the the reality. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to go to heaven one of two ways, death or rapture. All right, that's it. Death is, well, there's no explanation for that. You just know, you die, you go, all right? The Apostle Paul says that to depart from the body is to be in the presence of Christ. That quick. Just boom, boom. But the rapture. The rapture is a, it's the preamble of the second coming of Christ. Again, we sang that song. The worship team did great job with these verses of putting that together. Jesus, you're coming soon. All right? I, I, I talked on this a, a, a little just a a while ago about the the, the signs of our world. The world is spinning out of control, folks. You don't have to watch the news very long and go, what in the world is happening? I'm telling you what is happening. The news is showing prophecy. All right? The news is telling us that Jesus is standing on the threshold and just waiting for the command of the Father to say, go get my church. The rapture is the body of, excavation of the grave of all who have died and then all who are still alive caught up in the air with Christ and go back to heaven and then the tribulation takes place and the rest of end time events fall into place there is no other prophetic event that needs to happen for the rapture to happen it is close imminent because guys I'm telling you the things that I have shown you from Scripture are indicating that rapture is close. And that's why you need to be ready and know Christ is your Savior. But Jesus is saying you are going to go to heaven. And here's the thing. Hollywood has done a disservice of what heaven is. All right? I can tell you, and, and even though the scriptures don't give us a full detail of what heaven looks like, It is not you and I just kind of walking through clouds with little naked baby angels playing harps. I truly do not believe that is heaven. That is Hollywood's rendition of heaven. And I don't even even know how they come up with that idea. But the reality is, the heaven that we are going to go to, Paul describes and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2: no eye has seen what it looks like, no ear has heard what you'll hear in there, and no mind has conceived. What it looks like on your best day, you can't come up with something creative enough of what it looks like It is going to be a place that will truly blow us away. Heaven is coming And the reality is This life that we are living Is not it And no matter how long we live Or what we go through Pales in comparison Think about this for a moment. We think that if you live 80, 90, 100 years, that was a long time. Let's even stretch it out. 110 years, that's pushing it. We think 110 years is a long time. But even if you live 110 years, I'm going to give you some numbers here. And I'm going to try to show you how this all compares. From Woodhall to Los Angeles is 1,900 miles. That's a 24-hour car trip. That's a long trip. Okay, that's 1,900 miles. From here to Japan is 6,300 miles. So the 1,900 miles, well, I'd take that anyway compared to 6,300. Well, 6,300 miles don't even compare from the moon. The moon is 240,000 miles away. Ah, that's a long way. Well, that doesn't compare. The sun is 93 million miles away. Okay, that's a real far away. No, it's not. Not even close. Our galaxy, um, science quiz, what's the name of our galaxy that we live in? Milky Way, Milky way galaxy. It is called a spiral galaxy. All right? So it's Circular. And in the middle is apparently a a deep black hole, which you can't go into. And and so, but you've got the middle. The earth sits somewhere right right in here, okay? And then you've got the galaxy. From the earth to the edge of the galaxy, just our galaxy, any idea how far that is? A lot, long way. Very good. You would pass your science test. 933,000 light years. That's what science has come up with. And a light year is like 265,000 miles per second. Okay? It's warp nine. Okay, come on. Where's my Star Trek fans? All right? You're, you're moving at warp at that, that, that point. All right? And, and, and so it takes 933,000 light years just to get to the edge of our universe. All right? Now, I'm saying all those because of this. If you live even 110 years, here's your life compared to eternity. You're done. So think of 933,000 light years. I take one step. That's the comparison to you in eternity. Think about that. What we go through. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. That word, Actually, those words, do not lose heart, means to become discouraged, to give up, to stop. It's it's in the same vein, the same lane that Jesus is saying, do not lose heart or or do not um, let your heart Be be troubled. I've got too many words in my head. Don't let your heart be troubled and do not lose heart. They're saying the exact same things. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't move. And Jesus says, the reason is because you believe in me and you trust me. Paul says... Therefore, we do not lose, lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Isn't that life? On the outward, everything is dying. Everything is falling apart. Okay, That's your life on the outside. But inwardly, in our spirits, we're being renewed day by day. We're growing more like Christ, transformed in his image all the time. And here he is. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Okay, Paul is basically saying the same things as Jesus right there. He's like, don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because these light momentary troubles. Think about that for a moment. Paul's like, no matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, No matter what you've lost, no matter what the pain is, no matter what the hurt is, no matter what it is, if you can think about this, it pales in comparison to the eternity that you will have when you get to heaven. It it doesn't come close. And so Paul says, here's how you manage this. On this side of heaven, you fix your eyes. Fix your heart, your mind on what is unseen, not what is seen. And what is unseen? Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus just said? Hey, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because you believe in God, believe also in me. Fix your eyes on me. Get them off the temporal, get them off the horizontal, get them off the problem, off the pain. Fix your eyes on me. That doesn't mean the pain's gonna go away. It doesn't mean the hurt's not going to go. It, it, you're still stuck in it. It's still real. But your mind is changing. Your your, your focus is changing. And the focus has got to be on this life is not it. This life is coming to an end someday. And that's why Paul is even able to write in Romans chapter 8.18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And if Paul, if you know anything about Paul's life, Paul suffered. You've got to remember, these people were real, all right? The apostle Paul was a very real man, and he was stoned to, to, almost to death. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was shipwrecked. This man suffered. And I'm pretty sure on the outward, he had the scars to prove it. But Paul's like, man, this suffering, it is real, it is hard, but it does not compare to the glory that will be revealed to me one day. You see... This this world is not it. And Jesus is saying, guys, there's a better a better place that's coming. But look at verse five. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He's like, here's how you're going to get there, guys. Through me. Here's how you're going to get to my father's house, through me. Here's how you're going to get to the kingdom of God, through me. Here's how you're going to do this, guys. Not because you're good, not because you're religious, not because you think you're you're too sexy for your shirt. It's nothing about you. It's all about me. If you will trust me. You see, Jesus has been saying these kind of things to them for a long time. He keeps telling people, hey, if you will believe in me, trust in me, I'll give you eternal life. And so Jesus is telling these guys, hey, here's how you're gonna get there. You're gonna get there through me. You believe in me, you trust in me, you're gonna get there. And so he is giving them the confidence, just as you and I, you've gotta understand that this life is not it. This life is fading, this life is going to be gone because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm setting you up for an amen ramp right now, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have trusted Him as your Savior, you're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. You're going there. And so you have nothing. You just keep working. You just one day at a time, one day through the pain, I'm going to make it today. I'm going to make it tomorrow. One foot at a time, I'm going to work through the pain. I'm going to go through the pain. And one of these days, Jesus is calling me out of it. Whether through death or through rapture, I'm out of this thing. And when my... 50, 70, 90, 105 years, whatever it may be that I have on this earth, it is one little step compared to eternity. And so you've just got to keep your eyes fixed on the right thing. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on the eternal, on who Christ is, and keep doing what you can as a believer on this side of heaven, and you just keep waiting and working, and one of these days, boom, you're with him for all eternity. I like what, how Warren Wiersbe says it in his commentary. He says, "Now that he has returned to glory, he is building a church on Earth and a home for the church in heaven." Reason number three: why we don't have to be troubled? It's this: because of the totality of the relationship. So we don't have to be troubled because the Lord is trustworthy. We don't have to be troubled because this life is temporary. And we don't have to be troubled because of the totality of the relationship. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, notice Jesus says, if you would have known me. Again, remember I said that Jesus had been trying to tell these guys certain things a lot. Okay? And one of the things that he kept trying to tell them was that he just wasn't a man. He just wasn't a man that came from heaven. He was what kind of man? God-man. He was God-incarnate, all right? He was God-in-flesh. And he kept trying to tell these guys. So when he says, you, you if you would have known me, he, these guys knew him. They knew him as Jesus. They knew him as, as a prophet. They knew him as as the messiah they knew him that he was sent from heaven but they still were struggling with you are god you are god and he's like if you wouldn't known me um you would already know the father because he's trying he is now tapping into the theology of the trinity okay he's trying to show them hey if you know me you already know the father Because me and the Father are one, okay? God and Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, are exactly the same. They're both God, but different persons, different purposes, different functions, all right? But completely God. And these guys never really grasped that. Now he's saying, guys, you need to grasp this, all right? And he's telling them, and I love what he says, but from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him because you've seen me, basically. Look at what verse 8 says, Philip. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. You see, Philip's like, I hear you, but uh, Jesus, listen, I don't really think we're going to be able to do this thing by faith. Here's what we need. Just show, give us some evidence. Just show us that God is really, really I mean, if, let, could you just like f- phone a friend right now? Could you just phone the father and say, hey, uh, father, could you just show yourself, these guys? Then they would really believe. That's what Philip is saying. He needs some evidence. And aren't we the same way? Wow, if God would just show himself to me, I, I, maybe I'd, I believe a little bit more. You see, Jesus is saying to these guys, I'm not going to do that. Because look what he says. Jesus says in verse 9, he says, Do you see? He's just saying. He's like, he's like Philip. After all these years, you, you, you still don't get it, do you? You guys still aren't getting it. Me and the Father are one. I am God, and God is in me, and I am in Him. We're together. And if you want to see the Father, you are seeing Him. I mean, we can't begin to understand that. The Trinity is a theology that is so wow. Jesus, God, and God, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all God. Three distinct persons. Jesus is completely God. And they're seeing God in Him, but they're still not getting it. And He's like, listen, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he's in me and I am in him. He's like, you're getting the whole package. You're not getting just part. You're getting the whole package. And here in a matter of a few moments, when we get farther into 14 and 15, he's going to introduce the Holy Spirit. The whole package. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three, but one. One, but three. I have no idea how it works, but it is. And that's what you and I need to understand. He's trying to, under, he's trying to get them to understand, guys, I'm leaving, but you're not abandoned because God the Father is still on this thing and God the Spirit is going to be coming. Just because I'm going to be gone doesn't matter. You still have the package. The key word is actually found there in verse seven. He says, you know him you know him that word know is an interesting word because it means more than just facts it means to have a close deep relationship to know something to know someone and we've seen this repeated throughout the book of john about knowing jesus knowing jesus people knew him but they didn't know him and jesus is trying to tell these guys you know the father Because you know me. You have a relationship with me. So guess what, guys? You have a relationship with the Father. It's a package deal. Same with you and me. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have the totality of the package on your side. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in relationship with you. You just don't know Jesus as Savior And everything else... No, you know Jesus as your Savior, but you also have God the Father, God the Spirit, working on your behalf. You have the whole package for you. That's why Jesus says you don't have to be troubled. Because you've got God the Father working for you, you've got God the Son working for you, and you've got God the Spirit working for you. You've got all three. But again... So often we neglect the knowledge of all this because we don't keep we don't keep working this thing. We got to keep growing in our knowledge of the of God. We got to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We got to grow in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We got to grow our knowledge of them. And the more I, I, I grow and I, I mature and I, I grow up in my faith, and I come to know God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I come to know them. It's like what Jesus said in John chapter 10. My sheep know, or I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. When you know God, when you know God the Father, you know God the Son, you know God the Spirit, you know them. When you know somebody, take a a marriage relationship. I hope that, Paula knows me well enough that if I tell her I'm going to do something or I will take care of her, I will will be there for her. I hope she's not sitting there going, I don't know if I can trust Jim or not. After 30 years of marriage, some of you even longer, your husband, your wife, when you say, I will take care of you, I will be there for you. Do you ever doubt that? Do you balk one moment? You just know it. You don't even hesitate. All right? You what? Because I know them. And so when I know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when I'm growing in my knowledge of them, I can take the word of God. When I'm going through my circumstances, when I'm going through the pain, when I'm going through the trial, I know God in this thing. I know Jesus cares for me. I know he's got my best in hand. I know, even though I may not understand why this is happening, I may not see the result of, or an outcome immediately. I may not know anything. I know who's in charge of this thing. I know who's overseeing everything about my life. I know him. And if I know him, even when I don't see things changing, I know he has it in control. When I don't see or feel things, when I don't understand, I know him. And if I, as long as I know him and know his character, and I know that he loves me, I know that he cares for me, I know he has his best in mind, I know that he is working perfectly in my life, even when it doesn't make sense to me, I know him. When I when I'm expecting this outcome and it comes out, you ever ask God for something, expecting one outcome and then there's a different one. Can you still trust him enough because you know him enough to go? He's God. And if that's the outcome that he has chosen, I'm okay with that because I know him. And as long as I know him and I have that totality of the Holy Spirit and God the Son, God the Father on my side, I'm okay. And I'm gonna keep pressing on. And I'm not gonna let my heart be troubled. And then last one. The, rest, the last reason why we don't have to be troubled is this. Because the Lord is trustworthy. Now, Jimmy, hardy already used that T word. It's because I couldn't find another T word. Because there's one little line in this thing that that for me, I, I, I just couldn't, I was gonna use the word telephone, but it just, wasn't, just didn't seem right. But trustworthy again did, okay? And it's the last two verses here, and for me, probably some of the hardest verses actually probably to teach. Look at verses 12 through 14. And Jesus says to them, he says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'whoever believes in me will also do the works that I, I do, "'and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, and the Father may be that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Any volunteers on preaching that right now? Those are tough verses. And the reason why they're tough is I believe they've been mistaught. I believe that people, especially the name it claim it folks, have mistaught these things. All right, so I'm going to try to give you what I believe is, 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 what, is what Jesus is saying here, okay? It, can I do that? All right, I'm going to break this up. Let's first look at verse 12, and then we're going to look at 13 and 14. First, let's look at when he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. All right, now this is one of those things where people will say, I believe, he's, I believe when he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, I think he's twofold there, all right? Two, two things he's talking about. One is the miracles, all right? Now, there will be even people today saying, well, Jesus says we can do what he did. All in favor that miracles still happen today? I do believe that, all right? but are they on demand? No. I believe in the first sense of this when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever among you believes in me, you will do what I did. I believe when it comes to miracles, on demand miracles, he was talking specifically to the apostles because they did. All right? These men truly did on-command miracles. Let's go to the book of Acts. And in fact, do you know that the book of Acts is called Acts for a reason? The Acts of the Apostles. Meaning, here's what they did, okay? So there were times where Peter and John was going up to the temple A lame beggar is on the ground. He says, hey, can you give me some money? And Peter's like, gold and silver I don't have, but here's what I do have. Get up and walk. Wham! The guy gets up and walks. That's not happening today. Literally, nobody's going up to anybody who's in a wheelchair. Hey, get up and walk. It's not happening. These guys healed sick people on demand. Cast out demons on demand. All right? Peter walked among the crowd. And here's how awesome the the, the, the work of God flowing through Peter was. His shadow would fall on on sick people and they were well. That's not happening anywhere today. Paul touches handkerchiefs, gifts them to people. Instantly healed. Healed. Paul saw a young man. And he was in a room with this young man. The guy falls out of a window, hits the ground, and dies. Paul goes down. says, get up and walk. And Paul's like, okay, let's go back to teaching God's word. Raised right from the dead. That's not happening today. These guys on demand worked miracles. They did exactly the same thing Jesus did. But why? Why were they able to do it and not after them? Why, why does miracles seem to be just kind of hit and miss? Okay? Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs, wonders, and mighty works. The signs of the true apostles. That's why if anybody says today, I'm an apostle of God, no, they're not. A sign of a true apostle was this. In Jesus' name, you get up and walk. Be healed. They instantaneously, on demand, was able to heal people, to do the miracle. That was the apostle. And here's why they had to do it. The apostles, after Jesus, when Jesus was around, Jesus was doing everything and everybody was putting their faith in Jesus. But now Jesus is passing a baton to um, guys who grew up in towns. Hey, I know Peter. I know who John was. I, I grew up with Philip. These guys had to show we are who we are. They had to prove to the people, we are the apostles of Jesus Christ. And when they began to preach the word that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus was who he was, um, they were competing with all the other religions. What was going to make them stand out? What was going to make them that to, to, to cause people to put their faith in, in what they were saying? Be healed. The work of God was flowing through them in such a way where people could not deny. They were like, okay, God's working so powerfully through you to do that. No one else is doing it. There must be something different about you. So I'm going to listen to what you're saying. And now they preach and they're healing people, out demons and all kinds of stuff. People are believing it, putting their faith in Christ and the church explodes The church begins to grow and it scatters and it starts to go all over. Now it's outside of Israel. Now it's in other countries. Now it's all over the place. Now guess what happens? After the apostolic era, the church is growing. The church is moving. The church is doing what it's supposed to do. The word's being preached. It's going out. There's no need for on-demand miracles because the word is moving like a freight train. Does that make sense? That's why miracles today are not on demand, but as God wills it. And if he chooses to do it, it'll be done, okay? Like I said, it was two reasons for this. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done. How many of you know the works of Jesus just wasn't miracles? It was also loving people, serving people, helping people. It was taking people who were sinners and just, hey, you know what? I I wanna love on you, I wanna show you God's love, and I wanna teach you the right way. Now when he says, whoever believes in me will do the work that I have done, now I believe that also refers to the church. Because if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what we do? What Jesus did. We act like Jesus, we talk like Jesus, we behave like Jesus, we become more like Christ, okay? And when we become more like Christ, guess what we do? his works, not miracles, but we serve people, we love people, we help people, we encourage people, we build people up. That becomes now the work of Christ. Different from the apostles, but still the same. But notice Jesus says, guess what? You'll not just do the work I did, but you'll do greater work. How in the world do we do greater work than Jesus? I mean, if we're not doing the miracles like he did, how in the world are we doing something greater? Well, here we go. Um, Jesus's ministry, do you realize it did not move outside of Israel? Think about that for a moment. And do you know how big Israel is? About the size of New Jersey. It's very small. And Jesus's ministry did not go outside of the north of it, the south, east, or the west. He stayed right there inside israel never went anywhere else but when he passed the baton to the, the 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 apostles and the church started guess what happened blew up and now the church the greater work is not healing people the greater work is saving people and the work of Christ has multiplied exponentially since his time through the church, through disciples, through Christians. And today, think about that. The, the, the gospel spreads through the Internet, spreads through satellite television, spreads through. The, I mean, it's all over the world and it's encapsulated the world how many times over? And Jesus couldn't get out of Israel. The work we are doing is far greater than he did when it comes to the gospel work. And the gospel work, saving a soul, is so much greater than healing a body. Because think about it you could see someone raised from the dead and they could still curse God and die and go to hell. But a person who is saved, that's the greatest work ever. Because if you remember, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, a person who is healed of cancer, all of heaven rejoices. Nope if a person who who comes up out out of the grave and comes back to life, all of heaven rejoices. Nope. One person who is found, one person who repents of their sin and turns to Jesus Christ, all of heaven rejoices. That's the greater work. And that's the greater work we're called to, is that we preach the gospel. We talk to people about Jesus. We try to get, People who don't know Him to come to know Him and we grow in Him. That love the One is the work that we are doing, and that is the greater work. That's what we're called to do. Now let's look at verse thirteen real quick. This in this point in this verse is where I get this point. Jesus says, "Whatever you ask in My name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it." How many think that's just a great verse? I like that. Okay. Let me order. Get up to the buffet line. Okay, Jesus, here's what I want. I want $100,000 this year. I want a brand new car this year. I would love to have a, a, a nice big house on a lake this year. And you know what? I don't want to get sick ever again. I, I want to stay healthy. So in your name, Jesus, that's what I want. By a show of hands, how many of you think that's what Jesus was saying? According to the name of the claimant of uh, preachers, that is. That is not what he is saying. This is not a carte blanche statement of Jesus saying, hey, whatever you want, you just pray and ask for it and I'll give it to you. It's not what he's saying. The key to this is when he says, when you pray in my name. And in my name doesn't mean it's just a tag on the end of your prayer. Well, Jesus, I want $100,000 in your name, I claim it. That is not it. When we pray in his name, What that refers to is I am praying in who he is. I'm praying in according to his character. I'm praying in accordance with his identity. I'm praying in accordance with his purpose. I'm praying in accordance with with his will. Who he is in his name. That's what it means. That's the same thing that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. He says you pray pray like this our father which art in heaven how would be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's praying the will of god that's what john writes in first john in first john five fourteen. g he writes he says and this is the confidence that we have toward him meaning toward christ that if we ask anything according to his will He hears us, and if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked, okay? The confidence of our praying is that I'm praying in line with his will. I'm praying in line with the character of Jesus, and and, and Jesus says, I want you to get what you have to bring glory to God. I want to pray things that will bring glory to God, not glory to self. So I'm going to be praying things. Well, what is God's will? Well, the number one thing is right here. I can find so much of God's will in here. All right. So when I find what God's will in here is, I can pray that. But what if it's it's healing? I've got cancer. Well, you're not going to find the answer of God's will. So here, God, I'm going to pray for healing. And God, I'm going to pray boldly for healing. But I want your will to be done. And God, if you so choose to heal me of this cancer, I will bring you glory and I will glorify your name. But God, if you so choose not to heal me of this cancer and you choose to take me home through this, I will still glorify your name. It is looking at everything we pray for. God, I want, to, I want your perfect will to be done in this. Jesus, I pray this in your name I, because it's your will that is ultimately the best. And whatever you choose, your way is not my way. Your ways are so much higher than mine. And so, God, if you choose to do it differently than I'm acting. God, if you choose to act differently than I think. God, if you choose to take this person home, I'm okay. God, if you choose to do this, I'm okay because it's your will I want done. And I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in his will. We're praying according to who he is. And Jesus says three important words. four important words right at the end of verse 14 if you ask me anything in my name I will do it I I said this yesterday to Paula just kind of off the top of my head I said when we pray Jesus is on it you see that's where I get he's trustworthy he's like man if you're praying in my name you're praying to. My will, you're praying. Hey, I, I see what God's will is. God, I want your will. Jesus gets after. He's on it. He will do it. He's like, hey, this is going to bring glory to the Father because it's, going, it's, it's, it's the will of the Father. It's the will of what I want for your life. So I'm going to do it. But do you notice something that may be missing in I will do it? When he will do it. How he will do it. What he will do. That's not in there. He just says, I'll do it. But a lot of times, we want Jesus to do it according to who? To us. Okay, Jesus, I, I, I trust you, and I'm praying this according to your will, and, and, and I really want your will to be done when? Now? Today? Or not actually like yesterday? And, and this is how I need you to do it. And this is when and where, and we, we want to shape it. We we, we take the will of God and the will of Christ and prayer, and we think it's a, a, a lump of clay. And we can shape it and we can mold it into what we want. We need to let go of it and say, it's your clay, Lord. You shape my request to how you want. But the idea is it comes back to Jesus is trustworthy. And the question is, is can you trust him? When you're praying for whatever healing, finances, kids, marriage, whatever it is, can you ultimately come to the place, Jesus, it's about your will. It's about who you are. It's about all about you. So here it is. I'm praying. We pray confidently. We pray boldly. We pray with expectation. But we also pray with hands off. And we leave. Why don't we all stand and let's close in a word of prayer. So, Father, we praise you this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we can know that you are trustworthy. And we put our faith and our confidence in you, our trust in you. Lord, we've got to trust you in our storms. We've got to trust you in our trials. Trust you in our pain. We got to trust you when life isn't making sense, when life is turned upside down and it crashes to the ground. We got to trust you and we got to know that you are trustworthy. And as we get to know you and we know who you are, God, we can have the confidence and we can trust you, Jesus, that you are hearing our prayers, you're answering our prayers according to your perfect plan. And we thank Jesus that this life is not it. The pain's gonna be gone and one day there's gonna be a time where there is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more hurt, no more death. For the old things have passed and the new things have come. And we're gonna be with you forever and ever and help us to keep our eyes fixed and focused on you. And so Father, we praise you. We just, I just pray, Lord, that, that God, anybody here today going through very difficult times, going through the trials, pain is in there. It could be physical pain. It could be pain of loss. It could be pain of, of children not serving Christ. It could be f- the pain of a, a loved one not knowing Christ. It could be the pain of, of a marriage falling apart. Lord, it could be a numerous things. Help them to fix their eyes on you so their heart will not be troubled. Help them to know you and to see you and to be able to know and, and trust and who you are. So we thank you, we praise you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.